You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Jeffrey Graham, executive director of Customer Insight at the New York Times, goes on the record online at the PRSA International Conference 2008 in Detroit. Anytime you ask consumers um, what's most likely to influence them in making a purchase decision, um, they tell you that the recommendations of their peers, word of mouth, is what's going to drive their decisions. And thank you for downloading this very special episode of On the Record Online with Jeffrey Graham, Executive Director, Customer Insights at the New York Times. We had a chance to talk at the PRSA International Conference 2008 in Detroit about his study with respect to rumor control, uh, how he treats the wisdom of the crowd, and what his team intends to do to try and save the gray lady. Hi, this is Chris Bechtel, and I'm the Vice President of Products and Services with iPressroom. As part of a new segment we're testing here called What You Can Do with iPressroom. In each episode, we're going to highlight one practical use of the iPressroom media platform. Today, we're talking about one of our core offerings, the online pressroom. Using iPressroom's media platform content management system, non-technical communications pros can easily upload, manage, measure, and distribute their content in a full-featured, branded online pressroom. See pressroom.target.com for an example. The same is available on a smaller scale as well for nonprofits, smaller organizations, and mid-sized companies. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to email us questions to info at ipressroom.com or visit us on the web at www.ipressroom.com slash demo. Jeffrey Graham, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. So what brings you here to the PRSA International Conference? Well, today I gave a talk on um, word of mouth. Uh, The title of the session was Online and Offline Word of Mouth, What's the Difference? Um, But I talked more generally about uh, the relationship between word of mouth and marketing uh, and how word of mouth can become the center and should become the center of marketing strategy. So uh, when you say word of mouth, what do you mean? You mean getting people to say good things about you? Isn't Uh, that manipulative? Um, I don't think so. I mean, marketing is all about changing the way people think and feel and getting them to do something maybe they wouldn't do otherwise. So I guess if that's manipulative, uh, any form of marketing is. Um, But what I talked about is that most of our research that we see across a variety of categories, in in my experience, um, indicates that other people in your lives, um, you know, peers, family, acquaintances, um, their recommendations and their opinions are the most uh, likely thing to influence your purchase decision, a lot more than advertising and direct mail and other types of marketing. So if we're going to really do our job as marketers, we have to address uh, this particular dynamic. So how does that work? How how do you address it? Uh, Well, 
advertising overall can have an influence on word of mouth and we've we've done research showing that when people advertise it does change what people talk about and can increase uh, talk uh, but I think that there are a number of different ways that marketers can engage in word of mouth and put word of mouth at the center of their marketing the first thing is that they have to uh, make it an objective uh, they have to make their uh, messaging uh, and their products in some ways something that people want to talk about. Um, they have to target people uh, that are more likely to influence uh, other people. Uh, usually marketers just look at demographics and psychographics, but there are people that are more influential than others. I think that that's important to keep in mind when doing marketing planning. So we're actually here at the PRSA International Conference in Detroit and uh, we uh, are positioned just outside of the session rooms and they're getting ready to have a bit of a party so we'll have some background noise. Um, let me ask you, how did you get into word of mouth marketing? Uh, well, I'm not really in word of mouth marketing. I'm, I'm in marketing and I think that word of mouth um, is, needs to be one of the driving forces in marketing in general. Um, I guess I, I started to be involved in word of mouth marketing just as looking at the research that I was doing for my clients over the past decade or so. Uh, anytime you ask consumers um, what's most likely to influence them in making a purchase decision, um, they tell you that the recommendations of their peers, word of mouth is what's going to drive their decisions. So you either have a complete disconnect between what you spend money on, which is advertising, and what you really know changes people's behavior, which is word of mouth, or you try to marry the two. So I guess in a way, all of marketing ought to be word of mouth marketing. So when you, when you think about word of mouth, would online qualify as word of mouth or is that word of digits or? Sure, um, so the research that I've seen shows that a little less than 10% of all word of mouth is on the internet. And that includes things like people posting to blogs, instant messaging, email. Uh, uh, those types of things. But then there's obviously that vast universe of face-to-face -face conversation and telephone and other modes. Uh, so when you're putting together a, a program, a word-of-mouth program for the New York Times, do you differentiate between offline and online word-of-mouth? What's the relationship between the two? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, there are a lot of different areas that I work in with uh, in, in, at the New York Times. Certainly from a marketing point of view, when we're, when we're marketing our brand, um, you know, while the overall objective may be uh, to get people to use and spread and talk about our information, uh, the different tactics may differ. So there may be a word of mouth tactic on Facebook, for example, where we're having people connect and, uh, to our content and become friends with our content. There may be tactics on our site where we have something called Times People, where people can create personas on our site, collect information, make, make recommendations, and certainly, um, spreading you know it's spreading our content through sending emails one of one of our most popular features is uh, emailing you know it's a little easier to bring and spread uh, a message and to track it online uh, but we know that for years and years people have been cutting out uh, articles of the New York Times and putting them in envelopes and sending them just a little harder thing to actually keep track of well actually one of my my favorite feed on your site is the most emailed stories feed right so it gives you a feel for what the uh, uh, national news agenda is going to be right. moving forward. Yeah, we find that people people seem to like that because it it 
it's 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 another indicator of what's the, what the public conversation is. People also use it as a navigation tool. It's a it's a filter to say that you know other people found this interesting, so maybe I will too. Jeffrey, you're the first um, person from the publishing side that I've uh, had the honor to speak to here on the show, but I have spoken to your colleagues, David Carr, mm -hmm. who writes the Media Equation uh, Monday on the uh, cover of the business page, and we've also spoken to uh, the consumer electronics reporter, David Pogue. Right. Uh, we're delighted to have you. Um, 13 consecutive years, newspaper circulations are declining. The classified advertising revenue has defected to eBay and Craigslist. The, uh, the help wanted ads are now over at Monster and Hot Jobs. And that's a tremendous loss of revenue for, a, for the business of, of print news publishing, daily print news publishing. Um, you know, when you're looking forward, with, with everything you do now and with all the talent and skill you do have, is, are you scared about what the future holds for the daily newspaper industry? Well, I think it, it really depends on how you define that industry. Um, while there have been declines in circulation uh, for the print newspaper in general within the business, although I think that some of those have been overstated, um, if you look at the NewYorkTimes.com, uh, we have 20 million visitors coming to our website. Uh, and that's something like a 30% growth over the previous year. I may be wrong with my statistics, but it's pretty close to that. So if you think about millions and millions of more people coming to consume our content that we never had before, that's certainly a pretty amazing sign. We also have uh, you know, platforms that are completely new and emerging, like our iPhone application, our BlackBerry application. So I believe that our content is being, um, you know, enjoyed and consumed more and more, and certainly around the world in a way that it wasn't before. Now the question of how to monetize that is the you know, $60,000 question, um, and you know, that's something that I think the whole industry is trying to work through. Uh, but the news and information business certainly is a very healthy business. Whether it's actually, you know, print newspapers are going to be the revenue driver, that remains to be seen. And of course, in the category of print newspapers, what makes the Times unique is its ability to cover news from so many angles, from so many perspectives, with such great depth. So how does it maintain that depth when advertisers are essentially trading in their analog dollars for digital pennies? Well, I, I don't know if I would accept that analogy of the dollars for pennies. I think it's early, early on. Uh, the, the newspaper, New York Times newspaper, has been printed for something like 160 years. Uh, and NYTimes.com has been around for a little more than a decade. So I think it's, it's early days. I know that advertisers are just beginning to embrace the internet, believe it or not. There's still uh, many pockets out there uh, across industries where people are just starting to dip their toe in the water. So I don't think uh, the story has been written on the degree of digital advertising to drive the business. Um, I think our advertisers come the want to advertise in the New York Times because of the depth, because of the richness, and that's why our readers are there. So uh, I think the model is being um, you know, vindicated by the dollars that are coming to both the print side uh, and the online side. But you know, you're a former SVP of Strategic Research and Accountability and Accountability Director for Starcom MediaVest. Correct. So you know numbers, you know media. Um, and 
you're, you're looking at advertisers start to spend their money against user-generated comment content, where the cost of content is essentially nil for them. There's no newsroom to keep the lights burning on for them to find their audience. So and, and there was actually a profile, I, I, and I can't remember, you may know, it was a profile on InfoWorld adapting their business model and going uh, web only from print. Mm -hmm. Did you see the story? No. And basically, it, it was a success story. It was, hey, here's a publication that has become web only. They're very profitable. They're doing very well, but they're a lot skinnier than they used to be, and uh, their margins are still attractive from a percentage standpoint, but they're not doing nearly the volume they were before. And if you think about how the New York Times might transition or follow along that type of a path, you worry that perhaps, you know, the breadth of content or the senior reporting, there might be, a, the company might have difficulty supporting that in a world where advertisers are looking at, well, I can get the same audience on Facebook or MySpace for a fraction of the money, why should I go to the New York Times? I mean, this, this has got to be something you think about all the time. Well, you know, there's no denying that there are challenges in, in the news and information business overall. The whole media business is, is a, a business that's in flux. I think that if you talk to anybody from television, anybody from print, uh, if you talk to people pretty much to any company except potentially you know, the major search player in the internet space, there's upheaval, there's change. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's not an easy formula uh, to translate. Um, I think that there are important reasons why you would advertise in a publication like the New York Times instead of somebody's Facebook page. Um, I think that, first of all, you're going to find, um, uh, you know, by your, I can hear the passion in your, in your voice about the reporting that we do and, and the, the importance of, of this in-depth, and that, that's a degree of involvement um, and, uh, and passion that our users and our readers have for our, our content. Uh, and I believe that that translates over in the relationship between them and our and our advertisers. Um, I think that our our audience is uh, is a aggregates a certain type of person uh, who's engaged, uh, who is uh, influential. Uh, so one of the things I talked about in my in my uh, talk today was that you know there are certain types of people that talk more, that spend more, that are more influential, they're more engaged, and those are the type of people that come and read the New York Times. So I, I, I don't believe that the smart marketers are seeing impressions as a pure commodity play. Um, I think that their, their quality does exist, and I think the quality publications are going to uh, be around for a really long time. I, you know, I sometimes wonder, are we just real excited with social media today and ultimately we're going to wake up and realize that editorial oversight, group consensus, and journalistic process actually does have value and maybe in fact newspaper stocks are going to shoot up once again and, and have their day in the sun. What do you think? Well, pretty much any, sh any stock that goes up at this point is going to be shooting up because they're all so down. Um, we're really excited about social media, uh, you know, the social media that's happening on our own site. Um, you know, our, our, uh, the comments that we have on our stories, um, the, the sharing of information, the, the Times people profiles that I talked to you about. We wrote a story, uh, the journalist, the, the newsroom wrote a story, I work on the business side, um, uh, was working on writing a story about Russia, a whole series about Russia. Um, wrote wrote a draft of the story, had it translated, 
posted it in Russia, in Russian, had Russian citizens comment on it, discuss it. Then we had those comments translated back and posted on our site so that our journalists can read it and also the people speaking English could read that. So we facilitated this dialogue between people in Russia and English-speaking people that created uh, a better story than we would have been able to create and, and more involvement in that story. So, you know, social media is a very broad term um, and I think that, I, I think that we may get better classifying it in a decade from now from you know somebody's MySpace page to something that's more robust in terms of content but we're we're excited about it at the times so let's say tomorrow morning Arthur J Salzberger calls you into his office and says to you Jeffrey our future is in your hands tell us what we should do to make sure that this paper survives and prospers moving forward what would you tell him you know First of all, it's Salzburger. Uh, so if Salzburger pulled me in. With the T? <laughs> uh, it, S-U-L. S-U-L, yeah. right, S-U-L-Z-B. Um, you know, that's, that's too difficult of a question to answer. You know, we've got so many different people at the New York Times that are focused on this. To, to, to speak to one solution or that I had a solution would be, would be too presumptuous. Well, uh, any ideas? I mean, can you throw, maybe throw something against the wall? I mean, well, well, what are the first things that come to your mind? Like, well, if you had the power to do whatever you wanted, I, I've got to think you're part of a big group, part of a big team. You probably have a reporting structure. But if you were the top dog in your area and you were being charged with putting forth a strategy, just high level, yeah. what direction would you move? To be perfectly honest, I think it would be the same direction that we're going in right now. I think the Times has a very robust digital strategy and, and we all recognize uh, uh, that media is becoming increasingly digital and people are going to be uh, increasingly getting their media, their news and information through digital. Uh, and that's happening at the Times. Um, I think that we need to continue to uh, build relationships with advertisers and have them understand the value of our audience and that's something that we're also doing. Uh, our audience is influential, uh, they're affluent, they're professional, they're engaged. Uh, so uh, I think that I think that if, if you talk to people within the newspaper business, within the news and information industry, I think they'll tell you that uh, it's really the times that's leading the way in terms of, um, um, you know, carving out a direction uh, for, for itself. So, uh, a safer version of the same question. Sam Zell calls you up and he says, Jeffrey, I'll pay you a gazillion dollars, come work for me, save the LA Times, what would you do? Um, yeah, I, I really don't have an answer to that. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. So when you look generally across the newspaper industry, are there any common errors you see papers making or any sort of basic advice you would have for how to you know, turn I, things around? I think it's the same, the same challenge across the entire media business, which is uh, being nimble enough to follow uh, in, uh, the consumer and the change in consumer behavior, which is accelerating. I think we, we kind of... Uh, lose sight of the fact because we're in it how very quickly consumers are changing and I think so certainly being nimble and and being able to uh, serve the needs of consumers uh, and and keep an eye on what 
uh, readers and users are actually uh, doing and how they want to get information. I think that's a big part of it. Now, I know you're writing a dissertation now on rumor control. Right. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. What's that all about? Um, you know, in, in, there have been uh, many efforts in the past uh, 80 or 100 years to control rumors. Rumors are a form of word of mouth. Uh, and uh, people who have uh, been uh, in the business of influencing uh, public opinion have uh, been very interested in rumors. So the dissertation is about uh, efforts starting from World War II to the present day to track rumors, uh, to influence what people say to one another, uh, and, to, and to, in some cases, suppress uh, rumors happening within the population. Based on the work you've done so far, what have you learned? about rumor control? Um, that the techniques are not very effective. I'd say that the techniques say more about usually the uh, organization or the entity doing the rumor control than uh, actually uh, about how you can effectively actually control them. When you look at uh, rumor control as a subject, do you, do you sort of put that against crowd theory? And is there a relationship between the two, the idea that in a crowd people may surrender their individuality to the collective fervor of the crowd? And obviously on the internet, it's a crowd for the most part. Is right. there a relationship between rumors and crowds? And if so, what is that relationship? Well, the idea that the, that the crowd is a um, ungovernable, kind of um, passionate uh, you know, place where passions can, and, and energies can kind of be released in an uncontrollable way is a, it's a really old idea dating back to the late 19th century. Um, actually, a French theorist, Gabriel Tard, talked a lot about that. Um, I'm not sh I think that the efforts to control uh, rumors has been in some ways a response to this notion uh, that, that the crowd needs to be controlled, the mob needs to be controlled. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really, in my own experience, I don't really see that type of thing happening on the internet. I don't really see it's kind of a crowd mentality actually happening. Is that something that you've observed or you've kind of well, feel? I do, I do observe. Like I've seen, uh, there's a popular blog called TechCrunch, yeah. which in the past has actually gotten some pretty high profile things wrong and been called out by bloggers who are less known yeah. and uh, that's been overlooked. Or if you look at uh, another case study would be a singer by the name of Marie Digby, okay. who was called out on the cover of the Wall Street Journal for having been concocted as a, or positioned by her record label as a YouTube sensation when in fact it was engineered. And uh, when I read the story, I thought, my God, this is another Lonely Girl 15. She's gonna get called out, it's over for her. Right. But she went on to MySpace, opened up a blog, and said I'd been, victim, I'd been victimized, I'd been ambushed by the media, and uh, to her defense ran her fans saying, my God, I can't believe you were treated so, so poorly. But in fact, uh, the argument in the Wall Street Journal was quite compelling that in fact they'd been dishonest. Right. So, you know, the crowd, the collective fervor of the crowd seemed to dampen out the truth in, in both those cases. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's both those stories, there's an element of your bad journalism, certainly, and the ability to have, well, your first, your, your first case was TechCrunch reporting something that wasn't true, and I think that, um, you know, just kind of speaks to the fact that you need to have 
good journalism regardless. Well, that's that's a you know that's a very convenient takeaway for you. But my takeaway for that from that is you know hey here's somebody that reported something that's well respected that's sort of a commander of the conversation, and someone else said well wait this is wrong and in fact it was wrong and no one paid any attention. And then in the second case, it was mainstream media getting it right, and the crowd looked at it and said, we don't care, uh, we're running to your defense, and the truth yeah. didn't matter. So I, I didn't mean to position the truth as firmly in the camp of new media or mainstream media. I gave you two examples there, but in both cases, the truth didn't matter. Yeah, well, you know, P.T. Barnum said you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time. It sounds like, I don't know if that's really a crowd type of um, uh, dynamic happening or if there's just people that, uh, you know, are happy to believe something conveniently because they think it's interesting or entertaining. I'm not, I'm not Jeffrey, sure you, you, you're not a PR person. You come here to the Public Relations Society of America's conference, international conference in Detroit, 2008, to give this presentation. And often, someone who's an outsider can see the forest through the trees. So uh, based on your perspective, your limited interaction with our industry, public relations, what advice do you have for us as an industry moving forward? Well, I think that what, what public relations does is uh, ought to be more central to the marketing, um, marketing strategy. Um, the idea that uh, marketers, that you need to tap into things that are interesting to people, that are compelling to people, uh, to have messages spread through uh, earned media or earned conversation as opposed to buying impressions and, and forcing the conversation that way, I think will be increasingly relevant. We've certainly seen in the last 10 years just how much more important it is, how less uh, uh, effective um, you know, mass advertising can be. I think that that will continue to, to happen and the skills of public relations professional, professionals, I think, will be uh, relevant because of that. We're talking to Jeffrey Graham, Executive Director, Customer Insight at the New York Times. Final question, uh, what's the biggest surprise that you've encountered in your position as Executive Director of Customer Insight? Um, I would say one of the surprises that, that we've come across recently relative to something that I spoke to today when I joined uh, the New York Times, we have a lot of research about who the New York Times reader is uh, because when we want to find a new audience or more people, we want to find out what the profile is of the New York Times reader. Uh, and the things that, uh, that our research told us is that they're curious, um, they want to be engaged with the world, um, they want to... Uh, they want to have opinions, they want to t be able to talk about those things uh, socially. Um, and the research that we've done in the last year around uh, influential people, we call them marketing multipliers, people who uh, are, are, are particularly connected socially and like to tell other people you know, what to buy and what to do and people come to them for that. Um, it's the same profile of person. Uh, people that are uh, that have big social networks uh, that like to be the first things to know things that are open to new ideas. So it's really interesting that both uh, the dynamic of engagement with our content and engagement with uh, products and, and different categories with the same personality set. There is a popular perception in the world today that um, the readers of the New York Times are largely largely liberal and democratic. Is that true? Um, I don't really know. 
You don't have any data on that? I don't have any data on that, no. Well, uh, uh, Jeffrey Graham, Executive Director of Customer Insight at the New York Times, thank you so much for thank joining us. Thank you very much, nice talking to you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.